Well, I'm going to tell you a story today, but only on two conditions. Let me make sure I get them. Condition number one. You give me the benefit of the doubt on whether or not I'm losing my mind. Okay? Now, I'm, gonna, I'm going to tell you this story, and, and there's a, a good chance that you're going to think, wow, he's going crazy, or he's stupid, or something of the sort. And so, uh, condition number one is that you, in your mind, in your heart, you say, I'm going to give Chad the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to trust that he was trying to do what God wanted him to do, and he thought he was, he was doing what God wanted him to do, and he's still an okay guy. Okay, now there's some new people here, and, and you don't know me, but I, I'm asking anyway that, that you would, would give me the benefit of the doubt. The second, the second uh, stipulation for me telling this story is that you'll listen to the rest of the sermon when I'm done with the story, because there will be kind of this tendency to sit here for the next however long I talk and think, he did what? Why would he do that? He's an idiot. He's going crazy. No, he has to be making this up and things like that. And so, my, my second condition, you try to listen to the rest of what I say. Okay? So, if you agree to condition number one and condition number two, raise your hand. The rest of you go home because I don't have any other sermon prepared. Just kidding. Okay, so here, here's the story. So we're going through this series, and it's on finding the advice of, of God. It's, it's about hearing God's guidance and direction for life's normal, everyday, sometimes big decisions. Finding out, you know, who God wants you to marry, uh, what car He wants you to buy, where He wants you to live, what He wants you to do about the broken relationship that you don't know how to deal with. And, and we are working uh, our way, and then today's the final day, uh, towards figuring out what the Bible says about how God speaks to us and how we can hear from Him. And, and so far, we've discovered some great things. Uh, last week, I was taking a walk because on that Sunday, I had preached a sermon on listening to God and, and taking time to get away and pay attention to what God is saying to you, right? And you remember I put a sign up that said, Salem is listening, and I talked about how sometimes we're not tuned in to God at all, and, and we're saying, God, I'd like advice, but we're not listening at all. And, and so I tried to practice what I preach, literally, and, uh, and so I was taking this walk, and, and I was trying to listen to God about what He would want me to say in a sermon. I had been studying that morning for last Sunday's sermon. And, and I went out on this, on this prayer walk. And I left the, the church, uh, the offices, and I, I headed towards Ibach Park, just up the road from our offices. And, and I'm praying and, and I'm saying, God, you know, what, what do you want me to say this week? Give me direction on this sermon. And I'm trying to listen. And, and so I'm walking and I'm, I'm praying and I'm listening. And I get up to Ibach Park and... And I don't feel ready to be done. It's about a 30-second a walk. And so I see that they have a walking trail. And, and I start to walk on the walking trail. And I look to my left, and, and I didn't know this ever before. I've been to Ibach Park many a times. But, but there's kind of a forest off to the left of Ibach Park. And so I, I stop, and I kind of look down in the forest. And it's, it's pretty steep to get down in there. And I kind of stand there for a little while trying to listen to God. And, and then I think, well, nature's a great place to listen to God. And so I, I'm going to brave the hill and I'm going to try to get down into this forest. And so I do, I get down, I'm grabbing trees and stuff and, and I get down in there and I see that there's a creek down below and so I figure, well, if God's going to speak anywhere to me, it's going to be sitting by a creek and in and, and nature and, and this is the most nature I'll ever find in the city of Tualatin or the surrounding areas it seems. And so, so I go down in there and I'm praying and I'm talking to God and things are going really good and 
out of nowhere. And I don't know if I was trying to have this moment or not, but out of nowhere, instead of giving me direction, God just really gave me a moment where I was again impressed with the fact that that He died for my sins, that He gave His life so that I could go to heaven. So I'm having this really powerful moment. And and it was part of what I had studied that morning was encountering the risen Christ, and we'll talk about that today. But but I was was just so impressed with God, and I think I even got a little teary-eyed, and and I'm sitting there, or standing, and uh, and I'm just, it's a moment, and there's peace, and, and I'm, I'm excited about what God's done, right? And the moment kind of ends, I don't know if I heard a noise or whatever. You know, you're out in nature really far when you can hear the cars driving by. Uh, but I, I heard something. All of a sudden, the moment was kind of done. God's spirit had moved, and, and it just kind of, it just seemed like, you know, I'm done now. It's over. And then, out of nowhere, a thought pops into my mind. But before I tell you that thought, let me tell you this. Me and my wife have brand new iPhone 5s, okay? And we didn't pay really anything for them because we sold our last phones for a couple hundred dollars a piece and purchased the new ones with the contract, and it cost $200, and so we traded, basically, right? Uh, But retail, $649.99 for a brand new iPhone 5. If if, if you're not going to sign a contract... You're just going to walk into Apple or AT&T or Verizon and say, hey, I'd like a new iPhone 5. They'll say, well, you can have one in November, and it's $649.99, okay? And so I'm sitting there, and this thought comes into my head. Throw your iPhone into the creek. I'm coming out of a really powerful moment with God. And, and it's just in my head, throw your iPhone into the creek. And I went from peace to turmoil and anxiety and stress and worry. And, and, and I'm thinking, I'm saying even out loud, I'm saying, God, if this isn't from you, you need to tell me. This is expensive and this sounds crazy. And if it's you, then I'll, I might do it. But if it's not you, then I really, I, there's no reason to throw my iPhone in the creek. Do you know how much it costs? Do you know how much this costs? And, and so I'm, I'm talking to God and saying, God, if it's not from you, then just tell me and I, I won't do it. Okay? And probably, you know, God, make it clear that this is from you so that I know I should do it. Making matters worse is, is, is I'm now standing on this rock, right? And it's probably about 8 feet or 10 feet to the creek and about 8 feet up from where this creek is, right? And, and, and this story comes into my head. It's a story of a man named Abraham. Read it in Genesis chapter 22. And let me just read it to you. It's not the story that you want to have come into your head when you're thinking about throwing your iPhone in the creek. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to Abraham, here I am. He replied, Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? 
Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. He reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so I'm thinking about this story. I don't know all the words of the story, but I kind of know the story. And I'm thinking about this story, and this thought's coming into my head. If you're not willing to sacrifice your iPhone, but Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son, how much can God really use you? sitting there thinking that thought. I mean, can God really use me? And I desperately want to be used by God. Can God really use me if I'm unwilling to sacrifice a phone when Abraham, a man that was used mightily by God, was willing to sacrifice his son? So these thoughts are going to my head, but, but a problem kind of arose as I was thinking about this. Abraham had the promise that through his son Isaac, many nations would be built. I mean, he was going to be the first in the line of many nations of ancestors for Abraham. I had no such promise about my iPhone. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm doing this. Okay, God, I'm doing it. And I'm uh, like that, you know, like just I'm like, like a child trying to learn how to toss a ball for the first time. That's me up on this rock. And this other story from my studies that morning came into my head. It's about an American preacher named Stephen Grellett. And he had felt once, a long time ago he lived, he had felt God through his Holy Spirit saying, hey, go out into the wilderness. So he goes out into this wilderness, uh, like I did that morning, I guess, and he, he sees an abandoned logging camp. And he goes inside and the logging camp is totally empty, but he is so sure of the Spirit's guidance that he sits there and he preaches a sermon. Years later, he's in a, a different country, I believe, and a man comes up to him and says, hey... I hid outside the window that morning, you preached your sermon, and because of your sermon, I gave my life to Jesus, and I've been serving Him ever since. And so I have this story in my head, and I'm thinking, God, can you use me throwing my phone into this creek to bring somebody to salvation? I'm thinking, somebody's got to be hiding in the trees, they're watching me wrestle with God, and they're going to say, man, that man really, really believes that God is real, and so I'm going to give my life to Jesus. And so I scanned the trees. This is all true. And I'm like, okay, where are you? Where are you? And I don't see anybody. And so I'm up on this rock, and I am thinking about all this stuff. God, just stop me. I mean, stop me. I'm going to let go. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then, I didn't. I pounce down to the creek like this. Boom, boom, boom. I drop it in from about two feet. And as soon as it leaves my hands, I'm like, boom, like that. And I got my iPhone and I'm drying it. And I head back up the hill. And I get to the top, past the rocks. And I stop and I'm wiping my iPhone just as fast as I can. And I'm thinking things like, God, I did it. I hope you're happy now. And I'm also thinking, I'm kind of awesome right now. A little bit of pride. Like, I did that for God. But I'm kind of thinking like... I think I did something stupid. I'm not sure. Yeah. And, and so all this has happened and there's still nobody accepting Jesus. And I, I, I just, I, I'm thinking, okay, I did it good. I'm happy. It looks like my iPhone's still working. 
And then the thought pops into my head. Something like, I don't remember the exact words, that wasn't obedience. You should have thrown it from the rock you were on. <laughs> no way. And so, so, I contemplate. I go through most of that process again. God, if you're serious, then you need to let me know. If you, I mean, I, I use this iPhone for ministry. That's true. And, and I, I just need you to either tell me no or yes either way. But I just kept feeling like I should throw the phone in the creek. So I get back on the rock again. It's about 8 feet up, 10 feet to the creek. It's a good thing I played college baseball. Uh, and, and so I, I, this time I'm smarter. I shut my phone off because I know if a phone's on and it hits water, it's going to fry. So I shut my phone off. And I, I stand there, and again, I'm, I'm doing this, and I'm just trying to figure out if I should let go. And I let go, and again, I'm like, boom, boom, boom. And I think I almost beat the thing to the water. I accidentally step in the creek. I have the shoe to prove it if you want to see it. I plunge my hand in, sweatshirt and all, get all soaking wet, jet back up the hill. I fly up those trees. It's steep. I'm pulling like this, and I walk directly back to the church, thinking things like, God, I can't believe you made me do that. I, I don't know why I did that. I'm panicking. And, and I had this really weird, I can't even explain it to you. I didn't tell the story to Bryn for, for a long time after we got home that night, and I haven't really shared it with anybody else. Brandon read part of my sermon in preparation for this Sunday. But, but I, I hadn't shared it with anybody because I felt weird. And, and I mean, I'm just, I beeline it back to the church, tried not to think about it, continue to feel weird about it. Even when I was thinking about sharing it this morning, I feel weird about it. My phone is okay, by the way, and nobody has told me they accepted Jesus. But there's this question that comes to mind, right? There, there's several things, I guess, that, that I learned. I mean, several questions that, that for me were important in doing what I did, whether I'm crazy or not. First of all, I really, I think I learned a lot about myself. I mean, do I care too much about my technology? Do I care more about a phone than being obedient to God, if it was God? I mean, that's an important question. Where are my priorities at in life? I mean, it's a phone for crying out loud, and I haven't gone back there, and I don't want to go back there. Even if God were to speak to me to this point, it's like I don't want to hear that, God. And so I learned a lot about my priorities, but there is this other question that is important for all of us. And here's the question. Did God tell me to throw my iPhone into the creek, stated differently in terms that are broader and more applicable to you, how can you tell when God tells you something and it's not just a random thought? And this morning, that's what I want to explore together. Uh, and this will finish our sermon series on God's advice, but I think it's really important because, because when we talk about God telling us to do something, that's misused a lot, right? A simple Google search of God told me to do it returned a news article that began like this. Sheriff officials say that a man accused of murdering his girlfriend, mutilating her body, and possibly participating in cannibalism is telling investigators that God told me to do it. And you hear things like this, right? I mean, how many people that have run around naked in the world have said, well, God told me to do it. I mean, that seems like a common news story. And we hear people just in smaller things say, say like, well, God wanted me to do it, and so that sin is okay because I really I felt like God was telling me to do it. And we see this kind of this this abuse of the term God told me to do it. 
I want you to look at 1 John 4, 1 with me. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so we see John say, to everybody who reads the Bible, you can't just believe every thought, everything that seems like it might come from God. You need to test those things. And so this morning, I want to help us learn how to test what God is saying. And maybe we'll figure out if I should have or should have not thrown my iPhone in the water. In verses 2 and 3 of 1 John 4, we read this. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now, it gives us one way that we can begin to know whether or not it is God speaking to us. If, if what we hear, if what the Spirit seems to be telling us, acknowledges that Jesus came in the flesh, then we can begin to trust that it's from God. If not, if it, if it doesn't say Jesus came in the flesh, then, then we must start to question that Spirit. In fact, we can say that Spirit is wrong. But what's fascinating about that is there aren't many people in the world today who don't believe that a man named Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. In some parts of modernity, uh, modernism, there, there's been people, a small contingent of people, who have tried to claim that Jesus didn't actually live, that he was a fictitious character like Zeus or somebody like that. But now, with all of the evidence that we have through archaeological records and eyewitness testimony, there's hardly a scholar in the world that will say, nobody named Jesus lived. That's just, I mean, there is nobody intelligent in our world today that, that tries to make that claim. So I don't think John is just saying to us, if a spirit says that Jesus didn't live, then you can't trust it. Or if a spirit says that Jesus did live, then you can't trust it. I think that we need to read on. And as you go through that chapter, you begin to see John unpacks what it means for Jesus to come in the flesh. And verse 14 is kind of a summary statement. He says, and we have seen and testify that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. And so what I think John is saying when he says that, that if a spirit denies that Jesus came in the flesh, or if it confirms it, then we can either not trust it or trust it. I think what John is saying is if, if we think the Spirit is saying something, but that is pointing away from Jesus being the one who saves the world from sin and death, then we can discredit that Spirit and say that must not be from God. On the flip side, if the, that spirit, whatever that means, if, if, if we just see the spirit moving through all the ways we've talked about in this sermon series, and it seems to be saying, look, Jesus died for the sins of the world so that people could be saved, then we can begin to trust that spirit. Now, that's not the only way uh, that we see in the Bible. We also see that the Bible is a great way to understand if a spirit is talking to you. The Bible, will, the Holy Spirit will never tell us to do things, to think things that do not align with the Word of God that He has given us. We talked about this verse last week, but it's important for us to see again. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Bible is the Holy Spirit's book. And the Holy Spirit is not going to tell you things that don't align with what He has already put in His Word. He isn't going to tell you one thing through the Word that's written down and then in your heart or through other people or through circumstances or whatever it might be, say something different to you, contrary to you. And so, we have two ways right up front. 
If you sense the Spirit telling you something that does not say Jesus is the Savior of the world, then you can discredit it. That is not from God. And also, if you sense the Spirit telling you something that is not in line with the biblical narrative that we have, then you can know that it is not from God. The man who killed and began to eat his girlfriend was wrong when he said that God told him to do it. How do I know? Because the Bible has told us that those things are wrong, quite clearly. Maybe a more modern day example, people say, well, I think God is telling me to marry this girl. And that girl is not a Christian, but the person saying it is. We know from the Word of God that God has not told that person to marry that person because the Bible makes clear that we are not to be unequally yoked, or in other words, to marry unbelievers when we are Christians. And so we see that whatever the Spirit is saying to us, it must point to the truth of the gospel of Jesus that he died and rose again to save the world and it must be in line with what the Bible says. Now I can't stress those two things enough, right? I mean that's just, those are the two big ones. But we're talking about things like which house to buy or what car to buy or who to marry if it's a Christian and, and so it's not as easy as saying, well, does it say that Jesus saved the world? Is it in line with the Bible? Because most of those things are not inherently good or bad either way, right? I mean, the car that God directs me to buy is not going to confirm the gospel of Jesus nor deny it. The car that God tells me to buy is not going to be in Scripture anywhere, right? And so that, that's not going to happen. And so we need something else to help us understand when the Holy Spirit is talking to us, especially when it comes through a still, small voice, something we talked about in the last couple of weeks, and it's something like throw your iPhone in the creek. What can we do to know whether or not God is talking to us? A theologian named Ignatius of Loyola, there's a couple Ignatius uh, in the history of, of Christianity, but Ignatius of Loyola, he lived in the 1400s, late 1400s, early 1500s, and, and he offers some great advice that I think aligns with what the Bible tells us about discerning whether or not the Holy Spirit is talking to us. Now, you need to know a little bit about Ignatius. He began his life's work as a knight. He's a Scottish guy. Began his life work as a knight. He was, he was actually hired to go put down rebellions in the provinces that they had. And, and that's what he wanted to do with his whole life from the time he was young. Until, at about 30 years old, a cannonball shattered his leg uh, in a battle called Pamplona. And while he was recovering, he read everything that he could possibly get his hands on, including a book called, this is Latin, so I need to read it, De Vida Christi, which means the life of Christ. So he reads this book, and through this book he is persuaded to give his life to Jesus. And he does that, and he becomes a great theologian, and he writes books, and, and he serves God for the rest of his life. But during the time after this, while he's living for Jesus, he has these two dreams vision-type things that, that happen to him. In one of these visions, he is serving Christ the way that he is. And he feels really good. He calls it consolation. He feels hope and joy and peace. In the other one, he's back in his life as a knight. And it's as if his life has gone that way and he's been a knight for his whole life. And he feels what he calls desolation. He feels sad and he feels remorse and he doesn't feel hope. And he looks at these two things. These two visions. And the question arises in Ignatius' mind, and he thinks, is God saying something to me? I mean, is God telling me I should do one or the other, and how can I know 
what God is saying to me. And so we write something called the rules of discernment that really help us even today, and I think as we look at them through Scripture, to understand how we can determine how we can discern whether or not the Holy Spirit is talking to us. But for Ignatius, it didn't start with the simple question of whether God is speaking to us, what He is saying. It it began before that. And, And Ignatius said to us, we must be people that are able to understand and decipher the voice of God. And he lays forth three parameters for being a person that is able to discern when the Holy Spirit is talking to us. Let me just give those to you. Uh, Here they are. An encounter with the risen Christ. Paying attention to God's leading and working in all things. And a focus on furthering God's glory and plan through our own lives. What's really interesting about those things is that they seem to show up in the man named Paul that we read about in the Bible. Paul, if you don't know anything about him, was, was one of the forefathers of the Christian faith. And, and he's one of the reasons that you're a Christian, because he's one of the greatest missionaries ever. And, and he spread the gospel all over the world, really. His world, anyway. But there's something really fascinating when you study the Scripture about Paul's life. He seemed to be able to hear from God in ways that most of us would not be able to claim to hear from God. He seemed to be able to discern when the Holy Spirit was speaking to him, and he acted on that, and it happens a lot. Notice this, Acts 13.4, speaking of Paul and Barnabas. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went up to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. And so Paul and Barnabas, his friend and co-missionary, they hear from the Holy Spirit and they decide on their travel plans where they're going to go to be missionaries. Paul is hearing from the Spirit. Acts 13, 9. Then Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Lamus and said... So we see even his words seem to be dictated by the Holy Spirit and he begins to speak as the Holy Spirit leads him. Acts 16, 6 and 7. Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. And so we see again, Paul is is listening to the voice of God, and he knows exactly what God wants him to do, or not do in this case, enter this city. In Romans 9.1, Paul is speaking, and he says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. And so even as he writes the Word of God and he he speaks to people, his conscience through the Holy Spirit knows that he is doing right and wrong. And I think we look at Paul, we think, wow. I mean, that is supernatural. And Paul just had these amazing gifts and... I wish I was more like him. I wish I just knew whether or not it was right or wrong. I mean, should I move here? Eh, not right. Should I marry her? Yep, right. I can just tell because the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. Well, look at Paul as almost this godlike figure, if you will, and say, wow, if I just had more of what he had, then I could decipher the Holy Spirit's leading in my life. But Paul was just a normal human being like us. He, in fact, calls himself the worst of all sinners. Why, I think Paul was able to decipher and discern the Holy Spirit's leading so well is that he fit into those three parameters that Ignatius would lay out 1,400 years later. You look at the life of Paul, and Paul is a guy who had a very powerful encounter with the risen Christ. Look at the story with me in Acts 9, 1 through 6. 
Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's people. Background information. Paul hates Christians. He thinks that they're wrong. He thinks that they're wrecking Judaism. And so he is spreading murderous threats. And then we read, He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which is Christianity, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go to the city and you will be told what you must do. Paul has this powerful encounter with the risen Christ. But what's really cool about Paul is it's not a one-time deal. He lives every day of his life, seemingly, wrapped up in the fact that Jesus rose again. In the Bible, the New Testament, the phrase, in Christ, is used 91 times. 85 of those times, Paul wrote them. Philippians 3, 7-9 through 9 says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found where? In Him. Paul is totally wrapped up in the fact that he has a relationship with the risen Christ. It seems like in our, in our Christian culture today, we are totally wrapped up in the death of Christ. I mean, we think about how Jesus died for our sins and, and how, how He saved us. And, and that's great. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. We need to remember the death of Jesus. But we oftentimes forget that Jesus got out of the grave. And now we have a relationship with Him that is real and, and it benefits us every single day. I think that one of the main things that separates Paul and his ability to hear from the Holy Spirit and discern when the Holy Spirit was talking to him was the fact that Paul recognized that Jesus wasn't just a dead Savior, but He was a Savior that got out of the grave and now interacted with Him on a daily basis. Paul was completely wrapped up in the resurrection of Jesus. If you and I want to learn to discern the Holy Spirit's leading more, then we must remember that we don't just serve a dead Savior who died for our sins, but we serve a Savior who is risen again and is over all the world and He reigns at the right hand of the Father and He loves you and me. As we move through this, we also see that Paul was a person who recognized God's movement in every aspect of life. I think this set apart Paul maybe more than anything else. Listen to Philippians 1, 12 through 19. Paul's sitting in a prison when he writes this and he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Paul's sitting in a jail cell. They're not like our jail cells today. They're way worse. I mean, he's sitting in a poop-filled jail cell without windows. It's dark, it's cold, it's clammy, and he looks around and he says... 
I can see God's movement through this happening to me. He says, this isn't accidental. I didn't just end up in this jail cell. God is moving through what is taking place here. And in Romans 8.28, he says this, And we know that in all things God worked for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He says, look, it's not just me, but the God of the universe is at work in every single Christian person in every single circumstance that their life brings them. I think one of the reasons that Paul was able to discern when the Spirit was talking to him is because he was always looking for the Spirit's movement. He wasn't walking around going, oh, what do I have to do today? Uh, I need to get this done, and here's my checklist, and oh, I got that appointment. And uh, No, he was looking around and saying, God, how are you working today? Because I want to be part of what you are doing. I want to do what you want me to do. It's been interesting to me over the last five weeks, and, and before that, as I've studied and prepared for this sermon series and preached it to you, I've heard the voice of God far more clearly. I don't think that God just started speaking to me. I've been a Christian a long time. I think that I've been paying attention to God's movement in my life. And it's pretty clear some of the things he says to me. But I think just too often we ignore it and don't care. But Paul was a person who paid attention to God's movement in every, everything that he went through in life. And then finally, we see that Paul was sold out to the glory and the plan of God. Philippians 1, verses 21 through 26. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Paul wants to go to heaven and be with Jesus. I mean, he's been beaten, he's been shipwrecked, he's been in jail, and he wants to go to heaven, but he recognizes that he has one single purpose in life. And that single purpose is to bring glory to God through discipling people. Romans 11.36, Paul says this, and I really believed he didn't just say it, he lived it out. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Paul wanted the glory of Jesus. And he worked every day to glorify Jesus. It was the call of his life as it is the call of every Christian person's life. He talks about it again in 2 Corinthians 5, 11 and on. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God and I hope it is plain to your conscience. In verses 13 through 16, If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that all who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. And further in verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You see, Paul didn't just go, wow, I got a job and it's cool. I'm going to try to get through this life the best I can. He looked at what Jesus did, coming to die 
for the sins of the world. And he recognized that his job now was to help people understand that Jesus had died for the sins of the world. He recognized that God's plan through Jesus continued in those who follow Jesus. I tell you the truth, if you ever want to be a person who understands when the Spirit is talking to you, then you must be a person that says, I want to further God's kingdom on this planet. I want more than anything else to move God's glory forward. And I want to see people accept Jesus and grow in Him. If we're like, hey God, what car do you want me to have? Because we want to have the perfect car that never breaks down. We're going to miss the Spirit's leading. If we say, hey God, I want you to pick my wife because I want a really good wife, then we're never going to be able to decipher whether or not it's the Holy Spirit. But if we say, God, I want to know where you want me to live because I want to know who you want me to lead to you, then, then we're going to be able to recognize when the Spirit is talking to us. So let me just give you those again because it's not just that, I mean, Ignatius, great guy, I'm sure, but I, I don't really care what Ignatius says apart from Scripture, but in the life of Paul in Scripture, we see these principles so clearly, so clearly defined. Paul was a man, Paul was a man who saw God in everything, Paul was a man who wanted nothing more than to glorify God, and Paul was a guy who was wrapped up in his relationship with Jesus. I've said a whole bunch. I know when it comes to hearing from God, you want these quick, easy answers. But the easiest way to know whether or not the Spirit is the one speaking to you is to be a person that is able to recognize the Spirit's voice. Now, if you are that person, you're working towards being that person, I think that that the rest of what Ignatius had to say to us is very pertinent. Ignatius says that, that if we think the Spirit is talking to us, then we need to begin to look at our feelings. Now, this is pretty contrary to what we teach in the modern world, right? Don't we, don't we normally say, if you want to hear from God, then just put your feelings aside and get logical, right? Isn't that just kind of how we are as Americans? We even look down on people who are too touchy-feely and, and they're, you know, they're artistic and we're like, come on, like, just get logical. Do the logical thing. But I think Ignatius is right when he says what you need to do if you think the Holy Spirit is saying something to you, if you think the Holy Spirit is telling you to throw your iPhone in the creek, then, then what you need to do is you need to examine your feelings. And here's what he says. He says that the Holy Spirit will never speak to you through desolation. Desolation means unpeace. It means uh, you know sadness. It means bad feelings, just kind of in general. He will never speak to you in that way. He will always speak to you through consolation, joy and peace and happiness, comfort. Now listen to this. Uh, we see this, I think, in, in, in Romans 8, 1 through 17. Just listen to these words and I'll try to break this passage down for you. Uh, so I'll stop along the way. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just stop there because notice again, Paul's about to talk about following the leading of the Holy Spirit. But where does he start? He starts with his salvation in Christ Jesus. In Christ. He cannot separate decision making and the lives we live from the position that we have in Christ. He goes on, verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Here we begin to see the working of the Holy Spirit and how he works. We'll see it more in a second. Verse 3, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh 
in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Now again, this connects with what Ignatius has said, right? If we have a discerning mind, it's going to be a mind that is caught up in what the Spirit desires. And we see in the Bible what the Spirit desires. How? Well, the Bible tells us what God wants. We believe the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, the triune God that we serve. And when you look at the Bible, the Bible is pretty clear that God wants two things. He wants to be glorified in everything that happens on this earth. And a big part of that, and it's pretty clear in the Bible, God wants to see people accept Him as their Savior and their King. And so, because the Holy Spirit is part of God, we can trust that the Holy Spirit wants to be glorified and He wants to see people come to a relationship with Him. And so when Paul says that people who follow the Spirit have in mind the things of the Spirit, then I think part of that is the glory of God and seeing people accept Jesus. Verse 6, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Pay attention to that. Come up again in just a second. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. This is good news. Why is it good news? Because Paul is saying, look, you're not making decisions all alone. And we've talked about this. The Holy Spirit has come in you and the Holy Spirit is leading you to make the right decisions. I love that because oftentimes, doesn't it seem like decisions, the hard ones, you're just out on a limb by yourself and you're trying to decide. It feels that way a lot of times in church for me. I mean, people are looking at me and saying, are we going to do this or do this? And, and there's no middle plan and, and there's people around me. But sometimes it just comes down to a decision. Are we going to do this or are we going to do this? And sometimes I forget about the Holy Spirit and, and I say, well, man, I wish I didn't have to make this decision. But Paul is saying, when it comes to decisions, the decisions in your life, the Holy Spirit is within you and He is helping you make the right ones. Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now I want to point out one more time, this isn't about following the law. Paul has said over and over and over again, when we come to Jesus, it's not about following a bunch of rules and regulations. It's about a life completely sold out to the Spirit. And so when he says live according to the Spirit, he isn't saying follow rules, because he's already told us it's not about following rules. He's saying a life that is devoted to doing everything the Spirit wants. Verse 14, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption as sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. I love that ending, right? I mean, he just, he builds and he builds and he builds, and then we have this Abba, Father statement. Abba, Father is basically a way of saying, Daddy, and it's that type of intimate relationship, but with far more respect than, than sometimes we mean the term Daddy. And so we see that Paul is saying, look, when you come to God and you're listening to Him 
It's not going to happen through fear like Ignatius taught us, right? Because the, the Spirit has not made you a slave again to fear, but He's made you, he's made you a son. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. And so here's what I want you to understand. I think this is what Paul is saying. When you're trying to figure out whether the Holy Spirit is talking to you, it's not going to feel like a taskmaster. It's not going to feel like a boss breathing down your neck. It's going to feel like getting advice from your dad who loves and cares about you. Now, whenever I say the word dad up here, I, I, I remember and think about the fact that not all of you have had good dads. And if you've been around, you know that I say this every time I compare God to a dad because it's important to me. Uh, I've had a great dad, and so that analogy makes sense to me. But some of you have not had a good dad. But again, just, this, is, this is so important. When we talk about a dad and we compare God to that, we're not talking about, we're not talking about a bad dad. We're talking about a good dad. And I think all of us have seen at least some example of that, whether it was our dad or somebody else's. In my life, I know that when I approach my dad and I say, Dad, I need advice on this. My dad doesn't turn around and walk the other direction. He doesn't get mad at me for not knowing what I should do. He doesn't even get upset when I don't follow his advice. He might feel sad. He might be hurt by that. But he just wants me to do what is best for me. And so... He offers advice out of love and kindness and goodness. And Paul is telling us this is how the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And so when we try to determine whether or not the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, it's not about feelings of desolation, hurt and pain, and I better do this or else I'm going to be in big trouble. It's about peace. And so one of the greatest ways that you can determine whether or not the Holy Spirit is speaking to you is to determine whether you have peace or not about a decision. Now, this is not the first step, and it's not the last step either, but it's part of the process. Ignatius is very wise because what he tells us as his second step in determining whether the Holy Spirit speaks or not is this. When you have peace, you must determine why you have peace. And I want to close by, by just talking about the importance of that. If you go, okay, Spirit, I've been, I've been trying to follow your direction. I've been listening to you. And, and I'm following what Chad has said about the ways that you speak. And, and here's what I think you're saying. And I have peace about it. Then you must say, in your mind, why do I have peace about this? And if you determine it's because you have more money, you have a prettier wife or husband, or because you'll have more power or more popularity, then you must go back to the parameters of being a person who can hear from the Holy Spirit. And you must say, okay, is my identity today in Christ? And am I somebody that's wrapped up in the fact that Jesus rose again and I have a relationship with Him? And am I focused completely on Him and what He is doing in the world? And then you get those things right and you come back and you say, okay, now again, do I have peace? And if at that point you do have peace, then you can begin to trust that it's from the Holy Spirit. But you must figure out why you have peace. That's a, a very important part of this. So what I want you to hear today, as we finish this series, and I hope you've enjoyed this series. I've learned a ton. I mean, this is, I, did, I just expected to just preach this sermon series, and, and it would be fun and everything, you know. And, and I, I just didn't realize how much I would be impacted. My prayer life has been changed. The, the way that I'm walking around and... and interpreting the things going on in my life has changed. Uh, my, my attentiveness to, to God's Spirit has changed. It's just been, it's been a fantastic series for me. I don't care whether or not it's had any impact on you. Uh, but it's been fantastic for me. And as we finish, what I want you to hear is this. Just listen to God. I'm going to keep saying it. Listen to God. And when you think you're hearing from God, 
then figure out if you have peace or not and figure out why you have peace or not. And so today, let me just finish by answering the question, should I have thrown my iPhone in the creek? What do you think? No. The answer is no. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak through fear and torture. I mean, that wasn't the Holy Spirit speaking to me. The Holy Spirit brings peace and joy and love. He brings conviction when we're sinning, but I wasn't sinning. I was just standing on a rock. And so I don't believe that the Holy Spirit told me to throw my iPhone in the creek. And we need to be people who learn to discern the voice of God. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for... uh, thank you for this series, God, and, and what you've said to us, Lord. And I thank you so much for the conversations that, that I've been able to have with people in our church who, who really are trying to find out what you want in different situations. And I pray that that would continue, God. You know, as we move through these series, God, and, and we, uh, you know, we go from one thing to another, we'll be talking about heaven, God, uh, where you reside, Lord, next week. It's easy for us just to leave behind the lessons that we've learned. That's even easy from week to week sometimes, God. But but I pray that wouldn't be the case. But, but instead, God, the people of Creekside Bible Church would be a, a people that always, Lord, want your guidance and your advice, knowing, God, that what you say is better, Lord, than what we think. Lord, I pray that that we would just be attentive to what you're saying and, and God, we would spend time with you and we would examine your scriptures and we would listen, God, to other people and ask for their godly advice and for them to pray for us. I pray we'd spend time in prayer, God, and I pray that we would would listen, God, to you in in every aspect of life and, and let us just be people who want to know what you have to say. God, there are too many Christians in our world today that just don't care about what you're saying. And I pray that none of those Christians would be sitting here today, God. Lord, let us listen to you. Let us be people that can discern whether or not that you're speaking to us. And God, continue to move us forward. God, let us not be people who follow just rules, Lord, but let us be people who desperately want to follow you in every single thing that we do, God. Thank you for this time, God. I thank you for the work you've done. And we give you all the glory. Amen.